Hello and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum. Today, we are going to talk about children in the foster care system. Usually when we think of children in that system, we visualize small children, but there's actually a large amount of teenagers who need loving families as well. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services reported that almost 424,000 children are currently in the foster care system now, and about 26% of those are 13 years and older. Only 58% of those teenagers actually live with a foster family. The rest live in a group home, they run away, or emancipate out of the system. We understand that fostering teenagers comes with its own unique challenges, but giving them the guidance and help that they need can make a huge difference for the rest of their lives. So we wanted to bring on a good friend of ours, Ashley Brandon, who has experienced that herself. Ashley works as the Director of Policy and Coalition Relations at Focus on the Family. She does really well at it, I can attest. Oh, thank you. Based in Washington, D.C., she connects government entities and nonprofit organizations to the work of the Colorado-based organization. She has also worked on Capitol Hill and with local government, focusing on community outreach and pro-life advocacy. In addition to her work in public policy, she teaches business communications at the collegiate level. Ashley holds an MBA from Liberty University and an undergraduate degree in speech communications. She is also a Colson Fellow with the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. She enjoys reading, traveling, and writing. And you can find some of her writing at the Daily Citizen, Red Alert Politics, and the Washington Post. I actually read a very interesting article that she wrote recently about music. So we'll have to post that. So I'm an expert, you know, (laughs) to and from work in the car. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we just learned about your professional life, but let's dive into your personal life. (laughs) I kind of feel like- As long as it's the childhood side. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I kind of feel like Dr. Phil here, like, let's, let's learn a little bit about your personal life. Um, I like the whole Oprah thing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You experienced being placed in a foster family as a teenager. Can you tell us about your experience with that? Oh, sure. So um, I was actually with a family that I had known previously. So I had the benefit of not having to just be thrown into a whole new family dynamic. I, I knew them actually quite well. But one of the benefits of that and how that worked out was that the mother of the family worked with um, foster care previously, being a social worker. And she would go into foster families' homes, making sure they had had all of the equipment or the, you know, the, the needs were being met uh, to, for the child. She would just do that on a regular basis. So she knew all of the prerequisites necessary So when my situation came about, I was able to just kind of slide right in. And I I had a great network of even other people, uh, my school, my church, all of these people kind of rallied around. And it was kind of an issue of, because I was already a teenager of, you know, let's deal with the stop clock. What, What does that look like? 
So I, in that regard, I had the best situation necessary. Now on the other side of it, it was also kind of scary because all of the key players involved in my situation were aware of the entire situation even prior to it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like I was walking around with the shadow of this. So um, I, um, you know, what one day I had no idea. One day I was in my biological family's home. And then the next day, um, May 9th of that year, I was shockingly being being put somewhere else. And I didn't know that that was going to turn into a foster family situation. Mm-hmm. What What was that? like because that that seems like very sudden and a a very big shift of events um for a teenager's life when when a teenager is already going through things like you know school school life and trying to figure themselves out and then here you have a huge upset in your daily life um what what kind of thoughts did you have and and what kind of feelings what was hard and where the feelings for this kind of came in, especially going from a biological family to your first foster family so late in the game um, and, and, and not really having that. Growing up, um, I would go to different families' houses, you know, as a way of escape, but never in the formal setting. That on the day that I ended up going with this family, I didn't actually know that I would be going with that family or that it would that would become the permanent dynamic for me. So it, there was a lot of uncertainty there. Um, in my in my own thinking, it was, well, this is just another day like any other or another storm in my family life that I was already accustomed to my entire life. It was just that the older I got, the more prevalent it had been getting. Um, to back up a little bit and probably why um, <clears throat> it was incredibly confusing for me was that as a child, I would have these storms within my life of just some instability. Um, I had a a mother who at the time um, on a day-to-day basis wasn't exactly sure what the next day would bring. But to me, it wasn't that that was an oddity. That was my life. And I thought that everyone's life was like that. And as I got older and learned that I needed to navigate that, it for me was better to navigate that and better to understand that than it was for me to look for different, you know, different ways. I never discussed it, but people within my own community were noticing that there were issues within my home life. And then when things as a teenager um, became even more public, um, the state had to get involved. The state getting involved actually was a quite scary for me because I had these um, ideals and, um, you know, let's just get through. I, I, I wanted to do things like go to college and live a normal life and all of those kind of things. And, and there was a fear that this new dynamic that I had already been navigating over here one way was going to change. What was my future going to look like? So there was a lot of fear that was there. But like I said, the community that I had with the school, the church, and my foster family really stepping in, um, like going ahead of me. At that point, I was already paying for a um, private school tuition because due to my situation, I was having to move schools constantly. Every time we moved, it meant a new school. And I didn't want that anymore. And I was able to work at a, a fast food restaurant nearby and pay for the tuition. 
And by doing so, when the state got involved, the issue of will I have to move schools mm-hmm. um, ended up not being a possibility. And I was so grateful for that. The other dynamic within my own situation, and a lot of people don't um, think of this first and foremost, actually, I don't think I would have, was that I live very close to a state border. And my biological family um, moved to a different state. And that added a lot of other uh, concerns with it as well, especially for like teenage adoption, because states are different within that. Um, If if the state is formally removing you from their home, um, you know, there, there are, you know, legal recourses and things like that. But when a situation like my almost to a state of abandonment and, you know, how, how do we navigate that? Things like, what is the legal age for a child to navigate on their own? What, what does that look like? And I was pretty um, independent in a lot of different ways. Um, yet at the same time, the state where I worked, I had lived and also gone to school, that that age was different. So that provided a whole nother level, if you will, of concern. And just in navigating that, it just brought on an entire overwhelming sense of, like I said, fear, uncertainty, and um, almost wanting to not, I want to say I wanted to go back to what was normal. I wanted to go back to what I felt like I had control over Mm -hmm. where I could keep going because I wasn't sure, you know, what if they do say that I can't continue at my school? What if they, what if, what if they, have issues with like going to college and things like that. And I just didn't know. And luckily in my situation, a lot of things did work out really well. And I was given a lot of grace and the church in, I, in what I dealt with um, did very well in that. Well, that, that is such good insight because I don't think that those of us who haven't experienced either side of that have really thought about, I mean, we, we think about the the child or the teenage teenagers' feelings and all of this, but kind of how they've built their life around their family. Like in your case, you were very independent. You had built a life where you got a job and you started doing things on your own so that you could get by and you could survive. And then um, now you're being placed somewhere else where it just kind of blows all that up. Well, and when you're told that you're, um, you're being with another family, or when you've built a life around trying to make everything look as normal as possible, you know, you're going to school with people who aren't in the same boat as you, you don't want that to be the topic of conversation. And so for my situation being as public as it was, I wanted to downplay that. And because I downplayed it my entire life, let's not talk about it. I don't need my family to be the poster for this every time I go into school. And, and it felt like it was starting to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were placed in the foster family, did you go by yourself or did you have siblings that went with you? I'm glad you asked that. I have younger siblings. I grew up with one, we're only 13 months apart. We know the same life and the same lifestyle a lot of the same challenges that I had, he also had as well. In the same vein, I also have two others that are extremely uh, younger than me, and I didn't know them in, in that situation. 
And so we all had very different, as in every situation, very different stories to tell. Um, my brother and I went to two different families. I went first to one family. Um, several months later, he ended up going to live with another family and his wasn't a direct foster care um, situation um, just because he was able to kind of, you know, get through um, in his age and dealing with different state lines. They had moved to a different state line. He was considered an adult. Um, and in that, we though share the statistic for foster children and people in our situation in terms of there were four of us, only two of us even graduated from high school. I'm the only one who holds um, a terminal education degree. Um, and at that and at that point, we're we're living out a lot of in a lot of ways what it looks like to be a foster child in America. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stories and the the conclusions to those stories are um, very unfortunate at times. There are some great successes, and I I, I consider it you know, the Lord's providence, but I just consider some of it also luck compared to others in seeing what, what can happen in a lot of these stories. That's why it's so important in, in this world that, you know, has a lot of sin in it and isn't perfect, um, that we step in as neighbors for those who are left vulnerable. And I, I think, um, it was the biggest blessing in your situation. Not everyone, not every child in the foster care system has such a successful experience like you do, unfortunately, but it, but your story really highlights the best part of foster care. And I, I think that's what we wanted to explore today is um, what is this success story? Like what what can someone who is considering foster care um, really do to make a difference in someone's life? My foster family opened me up to a world of possibilities. And with every job, I mean, again, my foster family introduced me to focus on the family to the depth that they did. I, I had heard the name before I had known my foster family but letting me know all that they had to offer that even to the down to my job, I give such credit to the education and the attention that my foster family gave me. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I'm curious, what are the things that have stuck with you from your experience all these years later that you, you really benefited from? Wow, um, so it's been 20 years for me It'll be 20 years officially next month. I can't believe that. And with that, one of the things I always remember is my foster family with every action that they were trying to undo, they would say, Ashley, we're breaking the cycle. And, I, and that whole break the cycle mentality isn't lost on me. And 20 years later, I'm still telling myself that because even though I wasn't 20 years into this then, there are things that pop up in my mind and there were things that I needed to undo in my thinking. And as an adult looking at it, looking at the entire foster care issue or even just life in the way that my, my role in it now, that issue plays in, I would say I always go back to that. And, and it, hasn't, it hasn't been something that I've 
missed out on. Also, I notice a little bit more, um, and you know, I, you have that whole like perspective change. I didn't, I don't know the perspective of not having that, but I notice things in such a way that I can see when other people are thinking in the same manner that I am. Mm-hmm. And that, that sometimes puts my alarm bells on edge. And, you know, at the same time, I'm actually kind of grateful for it because as a Christian, it gives me an opportunity to, you know, think and pray on those things, mm-hmm. but also um, gives me a little bit more insight on, on just some ways in which I, I, I try to reach out to that person if that, I, that I feel like maybe going through something similar or has some of the same um, concerns that I do as well. Mm-hmm. There was a story that you shared with me that I thought was so profound um, about how your foster mother would give you rides places, even if you didn't need a ride. This is just her nature in general. I never had to worry. Once I came into that family, I never had to worry about a ride, but I have been so programmed to always make sure that wherever I was, because I lived a life of abandonment, and I can say that in a humorous way now, but I could be going to church, and that's why I always say that my church had a great um, impact um, on me, is that my mother would leave halfway during church and have me sit somewhere else with my friends, and I would be left to church, and I went to a very, very large church, so I had no shortage of ways to get home, thank goodness, and yet when I became part of this foster family, though I always knew I, I have all these ways of getting home, she would proactively work to make sure that I was going to be picked up wherever I, wherever I was. So when it came to work, I would used to be, I mean, I, I had gotten rides with strangers. I had taken bus lines, even at like 15, 14 and 15. I just had learned how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I would tell her, oh, I can get a ride or I'll figure it out. And she said, no, I will be there. And when she couldn't be there, she made sure that somebody that she knew or somebody else, and she was like, no, this is not your responsibility. And, and there were times where she would say, you are the child. Now to the 16 year old ultra independent person, I didn't want to hear that mm-hmm. yet inside, I was kind of comforted by it. Mm -hmm. And there was another one that I would find that I would want to be defending my parent, my biological parents. I would want to say, you know, well, my father says this. He also feels like he, you know, he felt like he was a victim. He let me go into foster care. He, he also allowed this to happen. And, and he would go and, and my foster family would say, but, but remember, you are the child. And I didn't want to believe that. But now looking back, I have an understanding now that she was showing what a, a mother or you know what a parent does within those situations. She would make sure that you know even if it came to, to laundry or packing lunches, we were never not able to do any of this or didn't do them. But she always made sure that she had the umbrella of offering us not just responsibility but making sure that these things were done. And she just kept saying, I'm trying to break the cycle. This is what a parent does. And I haven't forgotten that. And if anything, you know, I, 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 I can say that I had a chance to really see a, not just a supernatural, but a way, a, a Christian way 
of showing what families do. She also introduced me to focus on the family, which as the, you know, I have the honor and privilege of working for. And, you know, all of this was part of her package of breaking the cycle. So it was great. It's a story that really sticks with you because those of us who were raised in families where we didn't have to deal with, you know, that severe of issues, that's a given. Um, you know, our parents provided rides for us or set up rides for us. And, and so for us to take ourselves out of that situation and try to understand someone who didn't have that constantly in their life, that's hard. And so that's why we glean on your experiences and your successes because that helps us understand people a lot better. Well, she was never preachy about it. And that was another thing that I really appreciated and how she um, handled those kind, you know, those kind of like teachable moments, if you will. And, and then the other part is not knowing exactly when um, or how, like how you're going to be internalizing this. I realize now, you know, 20 years into this that, or, and, you know, really I could say my entire life into this, that there are ways that I ponder upon, but then as you go into new phases and new, uh, new seasons of life, you see, wow, these experiences from decades ago, you, you're, you're still having to, you know, sift through them and learn the lesson just in a different way. And, you know, I, I appreciate the wisdom and maturity that we, we get from that. Although I'm not saying I necessarily want to learn everything that way either. So it's been an experience. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that your foster mother, do you call her your foster mother? I call her my foster mom or then, and then sometimes actually I will just call her, her name's Beverly. So I'll just bring up Beverly. And so, and everybody, a lot of people within my community know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So Beverly introduced you to focus on the family mm-hmm. and um, focus is a faith-based nonprofit organization that has such a wealth of resources for families on a ton of different topics. Can you talk about what they do um, more specifically on foster care? Sure, we have a program called Wait No More and you can find it at waitnomore.org. Um, we ha- I have two incredible colleagues, Dr. Sharon Ford and Helen Richardson. And the two of them work to connect people in churches to adoptable foster children. And a lot of them are teenagers. So it, it's a part that makes me so honored to be at Focus on the Family, just in seeing what these, these two people are doing, going across the country to say, you know, if one family of every three churches within America would adopt one of these adoptable foster children, the foster care epidemic, if you will, would be eradicated. And with that, they go, they, they provide the resources, show them on a state-based level what is needed. Basically what my foster mom already knew, what Beverly already knew in this, what they need to do to kind of get this through within the system. And then they get to go in and they get to adopt and, and be part of a forever family. And one of the things that Wait No More is very clear about um, within the you know, Focus on the Family program is that 
that's not just the end of the story. Let's close the book. And as I said, I'm still talking about issues 20 years later. It's that it's not the end. In a lot of ways, it's the beginning. And so what Wait No More and Focus on the Family wants to do is come alongside and say, how can we help these families to be an extra resource to them and help guide them through some of these challenges that they are going to face? And so we offer counseling. We have a daily broadcast. We have plenty of resources. Just by calling 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-FAMILY, um, people can be connected to licensed counselors to be able to talk to people to get connected to what they need so they can be still part of this discussion, part of this day-to-day -day thing. They're not within the beltway as you and I are mm -hmm. talking about it from a policy perspective. They're actually in the trenches with their sleeves rolled up and they're saying, this isn't what I, I actually had encountered, you know, thought I was going to encounter and look where I'm at. And with that, we do what we can to help them be successful within that. So that's one of the things that our, our program with Wait No More offers, um, but also just getting the process going, letting them know. But we just want to be the cheerleaders alongside of them, letting them know that they can do this mm -hmm. and, and what's possible. Um, what kind of advice do you have since you've been in the foster care system? What advice do you have for the families who are considering fostering teenagers specifically? I would say take it one day at a time. And the, this is the other part. Um, I, in my situation, everyone knew all of the players involved. And, and there were some seasons where I could be with them in the, the personality and the, the feelings and emotions that were with them. And other times, like sometimes I will just say, you know, not, I don't want to say, I miss my mom. I miss who she could be. Mm -hmm. And so with that, there's this odd sense of emotion that still comes up that will say, wow, I wonder what could have been. And with that being there, take it one day at a time in terms of what is that, you know, what is the, the foster child thinking? And, and just let them know that like you're on their side but also when those emotions coming back and especially being on the, you know, teenager side of it, there's the additional emotions that are added to that of just wanting, wanting to be normal or want, normal, wanting to be part of just the group. So what, what does, what does today look like? And not really with the punches, but knowing that look, there's nothing that you are going to say, do, feel, react, that's, go that's going to change that. I'm here and I'm here with you on it. So that's, that's one of the things that I would say, you know, just, just be on their side as, as, as much as possible. And, and don't, don't, um, like, don't turn your back on help. I know that I wanted, as a child, I wanted to turn my back on help. So, you know, if, if you feel like you need to just know that you have other people out there who are in, in, in the trenches as well. So that, I, I think those are the two things on both sides of the Yeah, issue. absolutely. And of course, you know, visit all of Focus's resources. Um, 
We have tons. We do, truly. <laughs> now, um, I, I do want to point out that you've mentioned a ton about how your community and your church came alongside. And for those of us who are unable to foster for whatever reason, there are ways that we can help. Can you talk about how some of your community community members helped out a lot during that time? Oh, of course. And actually, I would say they are just as important as the foster families themselves. And it just like in other things, I would not have understood until I was in it myself where the, the help was needed. Some of it is just thinking of the other the other family, not not saying like I like had to, they had to bring me along or or whichever, but my high school graduation. My foster family also had a graduating senior. Other families within my class at school, the parents um, helped with some of the graduation experiences, if you will. At the end of my uh, graduation, afterward, they would have a reception and every graduate had a table. Well, my foster mom had to deal with her, uh, you know, her daughter's table, as well as saying, Ashley, what about yours? Because it, it fell on the parents. I had another family that stepped in and offered and, and, and helped during that time. When it came to the rides to, to certain things until I got my license or, um, but if, you're, if you were looking at it from a foster family's perspective, whether it be a teenager or a younger child, um, looking at like old hand-me-downs of clothes. Um, sometimes foster children only come with one bag. I didn't even come with shoes on my feet. It was a very traumatic process in getting some of my belongings back. And I wasn't sure exactly which belongings I was going to have returned to me. And with that, having people, you know, say, hey, if Ashley needs this was, you know, it was humbling, but it was also incredibly helpful. So old hand-me-downs, if you have any time, just, you know, just as if they were another family in your neighborhood, or another friend and you know you're oh my 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 daughter's friend on the little league team let's let's give these hand-me-downs to her whatever those kind of things are there are opportunities and it doesn't have to be in a I don't want to just say a showy but just a, oh we're only going to help foster families but just treat it as if you were you know just being nice to your son or daughter's uh good friend I think that's one of the best ways to go about doing it. Yeah, that's really good. So, so focus on the family has a bit of influence in the federal government too. And we met Ashley working on a lot of the issues that we talk about on the podcast. And one of those that we've mentioned a ton, and I'm sure our listeners are um, quite tired of hearing us harp on it, but um, one of the issues is the Equality Act. And the problem with the Equality Act is that it would stop any federal funding of faith-based child placement services based on their belief that a child would be best served if they joined a home with a mother and a father. Now, we know that the foster care system is already overloaded. So shutting down additional facilities would be really devastating for these children to get the help that they need. You know, the Equality Act has already passed in the House and it's up to the Senate now whether or not they will move it forward. Are you watching this piece of legislation closely, whether it's 
professionally or personally? We watch this regularly, especially on the professional level. And for me, it, it, it hits on a personal level as well. And one of the things that, and I, I don't know how many times that you've mentioned it on the podcast, but the Promise to America's Children um, with the Heritage Foundation, um, we've really been trying to hammer home a lot of the key principles in that in just promising America's children that we want to nurture and we want to, you know, give them, let them have not just their dignity, but their, you know, their, their promise of having, you know, the, the right bathrooms that we want to add and not subtract. And one of the concerns with the Equality Act is how much this subtracts and divides from a lot of our um, political narrative, but also in our day-to-day -day things. And that's why I point out the promise to America's children is that this is something that American families, even ones who aren't on a day-to-day -day basis looking at things from a political and policy angle, um, as you and I see every day uh, with a lot of the things that we're discussing within the Beltway, this is something that is dealing you know, with families right in, you know, middle America. So mm -hmm. yeah, it is something, it's something that we are also, I don't want to say just concerned about, but, but we have focused on family where we want to hold true to the principles that we believe in, in terms of, you know, believing that children deserve a mother and a father. Yeah, absolutely. Both of us are watching the bill really closely. And of course we will keep you all informed of its status. Ashley, how can our listeners follow your efforts and Focus's efforts? Well, Focus on the Family has a reporting arm, if you will, called The Daily Citizen. You can go to focusonthefamily.com. You can read um, a lot of our policy um, reporting um, at The Daily Citizen, which you can also follow through focusonthefamily.com. Um, and then just, just keep an eye out. Um, for a lot of things, if you want to, um, for a lot of the things that you see coming from Washington. Also, I want to give a shout out to the family policy councils that are in each of the states. So for people who are wanting to look at policy on, on their state-based legislative side, they can go, go to those. And then I also touched a lot on our foster care efforts specifically, and that's waitnomore.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing those personal details of your life and then also showing us what we can do to help because we're always looking for ways to engage and um, this, this makes a huge difference just on a community level and a personal level. And so we, we certainly appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you are listening, we hope you are encouraged and will consider fostering or supporting a foster care family. We will post these resources on our social media throughout the week. If you're listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. You can find us on all of the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.